0: Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ.
1: The title is, When Our Faith is Tested. When Our Faith is Tested, Genesis 22. Now, I wanted to do this in one part, but I I did last week the prophetic, and now we're hitting the practical part of this passage, But it's going to take me two weeks. So I'm only going to get halfway through. So you're going to have to come back. In a couple weeks when I'm back here, you're going to have to come back and get the second part. Because there's really two parts. Uh, Today's kind of the negative part, I would say. And the next time is going to be the more positive. They're both positive spiritually. But one talks about what we have to sacrifice. The other one talks about what God is trying to do through those sacrifices. But I I said when our faith is tested. And have you ever experienced a testing of your faith, a crisis of faith? Something happened to you or a loved one that left you traumatized, shocked, your faith shaken? I I was talking to Kim this week and she was telling me about how, you know, she's been, you know, had listened to one of the old sermons, and it was about crisis of faith, and she was just saying, you know, I I realized what I was going through, a crisis of faith, she started telling me about her crisis of faith, and I said, that's exactly what I'm preaching on Sunday, and she said, oh really, can I share something about it on Sunday? and I said, no, it's it's communion, we don't have a lot of time, you know, no, okay, please, 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 okay, as long as you keep it short, okay, so, uh, (laughs) even this morning, you know, you know, even this morning, I had to remind reminder now. okay. <laughs> so I asked her to share a little bit about that because it really is what we're going to be talking about. So. Oh, <laughs> we're going to have a Christ marriage crisis after that. So.
0: <laughs> I know, I have Emily sick out there. The no, excuses. no excuses. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, Like he said, as I was listening to one of his sermons, uh, well, by the way, I started exercising, which I've never done. So my dad's even witnessed me on the treadmill. (laughs) So now what I do is I go back and I listen to sermons and things like that. It's a great time. I never had this time in my life. But I was listening to a sermon, um, and he was talking about having a crisis of faith. And as I was listening, God started speaking to my heart about a time in my walk, and I had a crisis of faith. While I was going through it, I would not have been able to verbalize to you that that's what was going on inside. But now, reflecting back on it, I can see it was a crisis of faith. About eight years ago, well, exactly eight years ago, our two oldest boys, Ryan and Matthew, were in a period of hardcore rebellion. Over that year, we were dealing with high school suspensions, police, alcohol, drug abuse, dropping out of college, broken curfews, not knowing where they were, what was going on, and you name it, we're in the middle of it. It was at this time that we decided that our oldest, Ryan, he was almost 19 at the time and just dropped out of college, that um, he was old enough to figure this out on his own now. We told him that we loved him, But his lifestyle was destroying himself and our whole family. Matthew, who was 16 at the time, was still in high school, still living with us, giving us as much grief as Ryan, but it was our responsibility. He was still 16. Dealing with him was difficult enough, let alone having Ryan, the influence of him over him at that time was ridiculous. I remember looking at Chuck and said to him one morning, I said, did you ever imagine that our kids would be going down this destructive path of drugs, alcohol, and everything else that you can imagine? And I was so upset, I said, God, this isn't supposed to happen. We have spent so much time on parenting conferences, reading parenting books, teaching them Bible verses, bringing them to church, going to youth group, warning them, like, till our heads burst about Drugs, alcohol, and everything else that could be out there in the world for the teenagers. Pornography, everything. I just couldn't wrap my brain around that we're going through this. As a mom, I dedicated my last 19 years to training them up in the Lord, and this is what happens. What happened to the promise about training your your child up in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it? I was exhausted, and I wanted to quit. Our once peaceful home was now a mess. There was no peace. Chuck and I were arguing all the time about how we're gonna handle them. What are we gonna do next? What, like, how are we gonna deal with this? What are we gonna do? We were arguing with them on basic house rules so that, because their lack of obedience was influencing all the younger kids in the house. The fights we had at midnight were ridiculous in our house because that's when one kid would show up or one not knowing where they were. I'm praying to God that most of my younger kids don't even re- know this or remember any of it. We were always on edge. And the turmoil was taking a toll inside of me, and I began to lose faith in God. I kept saying, What's the point? How am I going to do this 11 more times? I was so discouraged, and I kept saying, God, where are you? Aren't you hearing our prayers? I was losing my faith, and in the midst, I was making so many spiritual mistakes. And I wrestled with God and finally asked him to rescue me from all the lies that I was believing because that's what I was believing, lies. I started to focus on his promises in scripture and believe them even if I couldn't see anything good happening, Hebrews 11.1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. By his grace, he pulled me out of my crisis. He showed me my lack of faith and pulled me back on track. Our circumstances really never changed. That was eight years ago, but my perspective did. Physically, we couldn't do any more for the boys. I needed to depend on God to change their hearts and wait for them to respond. The boys continued in rebellion for many more years after that, but God showed up in so many ways.
1: Notice it's not resolved yet, completely. Thank God, you know, Matthew's off to seminary, you know, but, but it's not completely resolved. And that's the faith journey. She goes, well, I, I don't have it all resolved. I go, just share where you're at now. You don't have to resolve it. There's no happy ending Sunday. This isn't friendlies, you know. Uh, but we're going to see today, Abraham's faith is tested with Isaac, Last week was the prophetic, this is week is the practical, and like I said, uh, be here the next time because I'm going to do the part two, kind of the negative today, the positive part two, but they're all, they're all positive in their own reason. Um, let me pray and then I'll read the passage. Father, we, I pray for every one of us as we go through crisis of faith and our faith is tested. We Pray that your spirit would speak to us through this passage today and in the next couple times, and, and you, would, you would bring us through, bring us through these testings. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 22, read the passage again. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice them there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abram got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abram looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkeys while I stay. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided." And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Whew, wow. So, last week we saw the prophetic. And if you missed it, listen to the CD or podcast or YouTube because it's the whole prophetic part. And wow, powerful, powerful passage. But today I want to look at the practical part and start it. They're going to finish that the next time. We'll get halfway through here with the practical. The thought that jumps out at me is the sacrifice. Have you ever loved someone too much? Have you ever loved someone too much? I'm sure that was a problem for Abraham here with Isaac, right? I mean, think about it. That's part of the reason why God was calling him to take this test. I call it the take test. You've ever done the taste test? so I call this the take test. It's going to take him away. I mean... And he he had to be really obsessively loving his son, right? I mean, he was promised to him by God. He was 100 years old when he had him. Think about that. He was a parent and a grandparent and a great-grandparent all at once. I'm sure he loved him and spoiled him. I see what I'm like with the younger kids. Even the youngest three are kind of like grandchildren to me. My older ones are always complaining, why don't you make them do blah, blah, blah? And why do you let them get away with that? You know, it's because I'm like a grandparent to them, old, old enough to be their grandparent. And now I do have a granddaughter, and it's worse and worse and worse all the time. You know, it's, you're, you're spoiling her. I go, I'm supposed to. I'm her grandpa You know, and her dad. And So, uh, so you can imagine what Abraham was like with Isaac. And probably, obviously, Abraham and Isaac had an extremely close bond. Very, very close. And God had to loosen the grip. God had to loosen the grip because it was unhealthy. And he teaches, God teaches Abraham a very important lesson here that's a lesson for us today. And that lesson is we can let someone or something take God's place in our hearts or our lives, we all do it, right? It's a constant battle, isn't it? It's like the ocean waves. It's a constant battle. We can let someone or something take God's place in our life. We often have an unhealthy relationship that God has to to work on. Some kind of an unhealthy relationship. It could be sinful. It could be a a, a good good. Non sinful relationship, but it becomes too important to us, and, and we have this unhealthy unre- relationship with our kids. And as a result, think of helicopter parents. Helicopter parents. When, um, uh, you know, you hear the parents, they hover around their kids and every little thing they do and from the time they're born to the time they go to college and even they stalk them on Facebook and blah, 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 and helicopter parents. I know some of you are thinking, oh, that's me. Okay, here you go. But, uh, but there, it's a sign it's a sign of an unhealthy love an unhealthy relationship. Another sign of an unhealthy love is enabling, enabling. We enable our children, which actually hurts them. We we, we we actually hurt them. We overlook a negative character development in our children, or we allow ungodly, ungodly behaviour to go unchecked. And and that's that's enabling. And when we enable, we actually can be we actually are at cross purposes with God. What he's trying to do in their life. When we enable our our children or anybody, it doesn't have to be our child, If we enable somebody, we're actually at cross purposes with what God is trying to do in their life. It happens when we rescue them. We rescue somebody. Sound familiar? Or we enable them. And I think moms are especially vulnerable to this. Dads can do it too. But I think moms are especially vulnerable to this uh, because You think of the mom and dad relationship, usually the dads are the law and the moms are grace, right? That's how God created us, and the balance is supposed to be to work well together. Ideally, they work well. The dads make sure things stay in line. The moms keep it soft enough. And and that's kind of the the way God has created a husband and wives to to parent. But what happens many times, and dads can be too hard. We can be too harsh, and boy, phew. You know, that's a hard thing, isn't it, for, for us as dads? But moms can be overprotective. Because that's their job, to protect. Right, moms? That's your job, to protect. So you protect them. from the time they're a baby, you're protecting them. It's good when they're a baby, but it's not so good when they're in sin. Or when it's time for them to leave the nest. It's not so good. And many times, and Kim alluded to it, we argued a lot. Some, a lot of times I was wrong, believe me, I know but but sometimes it was because uh, she moms many times try to practice tough love which has to be done especially if somebody's in rebellion but moms uh... want to protect and as a result they start to try to block that tough love sound familiar you know and then the moms will try to block that and and end up fighting the husband but really you end up moms end up fighting God because he's trying to do something because it's hurting when we, when we block and we enable and we rescue we're hurting our son and daughter we're emotionally handicapped, handicapping them we're stunting their spiritual growth we're stunting it because God's trying to do something uh, Kim alluded to it I, I, and I talked about this she said it's fine to share I remember trying to do tough love with with the boys at that stage. And so many times she tried to stop it. Now, I, sometimes I was too harsh and she helped me to stop being so harsh. That was very helpful. But sometimes I was on target and she tried to block it because she was being a mom. And she just ha- had that mom thing going, right? And the enabling thing. And I remember finally, when first time we had to have Ryan leave, we, we didn't say leave, we said A or B. You have a choice. You can live here and these are the rules or you can Go live on your own. And he chose to go on his own. But uh, then he had come back at one point, and things were going pretty well. But then he started slipping again, and I started doing the tough love again. And Kim was like, no, stop, stop. I said, okay, you do it. She goes, good, good, I want to do it. And she said, I'll do it. And and Ryan wanted her to do it. And so so Kim took over the tough love, and uh, she finally got it. (laughs) She finally had to ask him to leave. And, and, and put him out of the house. And I'll never forget it. You know, she, He's like, where, where are we going to go? And at the time he was married. And where are we going to go? And she handed him a tent. Said, go camp out somewhere. You're not here anymore. You've really crossed. And it was severe. They crossed the line. But she got it. And she was like, oh, now I see. Now I see what you were taught. Now I understand how hard it was. And how I was fighting you when you were trying to do this. I get it. She got it. And not only that. Thank God Ryan got it. Um, You know, it didn't save him, but he understood. I'll never forget when he finally had to do tough love. And a lot of you know his life and who he was doing it with. He had to finally practice tough love. And for seven years, he did not understand what we were doing with tough love. He just didn't get it. But finally, he had to practice tough love. And I'll never forget, he wrote us a, a, a note, apology, and he came and talked to us. And he said, I finally understand why you did what you did. I'm finally getting it. Because now I'm having to do it to someone. And now I have a daughter who I hope doesn't do what I'm doing. And I finally get it. This story in Genesis 22 is is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Why do you think Sarah is not mentioned in the story? Why isn't Sarah in this story? Where's Sarah? <laughs> because God didn't involve her in this. Well, didn't Abraham talk to her about it? Not till he got back, obviously. What would happen if he did? Can you imagine? What imagine coming back from this trip? What it was like. Oh, Sarah, Isaac, how did how did the camping trip go? <laughs> Well, we were having a lot of fun until Dad took out the knife and tried to kill me. (laughs) It was going great till then. What? (laughs) Talk about marriage problems, right? What would have happened if if uh, if she had if he had told her about what was going to happen? What would happen? Kicking and screaming. All the way up the mountain. They wouldn't have you know, stay behind, not, uh, You're All the way up the mountain, kicking in, screaming, trying to stop what Abraham had to do, what God wanted done, right? This is what I'm talking about. But back to Abraham and Isaac. God often has to idol-proof our lives. You ever, has he ever had to do that in your life? <laughs> many, many, many times, Right? He has, he, because something or someone, someone or something takes God's place in our hearts. And so God takes it. Or he asks us to give it up. He asks us to let it go. And how we respond shows, how we respond shows the idol's grip. It exposes the idol's grip on our hearts. Often we respond in anger or bitterness toward God. And what does that show? That shows that we loved that person or that thing more than we loved God. I knew uh, over the years, I've, I've experienced it myself, but I've seen so much. I remember there was a young man who was a really good basketball player. In fact, he had a scholarship to a top college, and he went to play basketball there, and he was injured his first year. And when he was injured, he became bitter, angry and bitter. And he couldn't play basketball anymore. And he turned to drugs. And really, probably today, he's still dealing with it. Last I knew, he was still not, still mad at God, still going to the drugs, still blaming everybody else. And what did that show? That showed that basketball was an idol to him. I knew a, another young man years ago when I was a youth pastor. He was in my youth group, and he was dating this girl, and he loved her. And it was his senior year, and he, she broke up with him, and he lost it spiritually. He he dropped his faith for years, and even still, he finally came back, but he still never was really right. What was that girl? An idol. I knew, uh, and I'm just using a couple examples, I knew another guy who was a real spiritual guy, doing great spiritually, but first one parent and then the other parent died very quickly, close together. And when they died, his faith died. He went into this nosedive, this downward spiral that he never quite, he's, every once in a while we'll talk and he's kind of coming out of it, but then he goes back into it. He's never pulled, really pulled out of what does that show? What does that show? Because we all struggle. You heard Kim's testimony. We, we got to struggle. We got to battle through it. But when we don't pull out of it and we don't turn to God's promises, like Kim had shared, instead we turn away against God, what does that expose in our heart and in our life? That that these were idols and, and that we love these idols. Things or these people more than we love God. At the worst, it shows they were. idle. At the very least, it shows an unhealthy love. And God is constantly dealing with the 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 unhealthy love love and loves in our life. Most of you know we we lost Ryan, our son, our oldest son, about eleven months ago now. But what most people don't know is we really lost him three times. Death was just the third time we lost him. The first time we lost him was just before we started this church 18 years ago, what a preparation it was. Uh, we had this one of these traumatic events. He had one of these traumatic events in his life. It was every parent's nightmare. I don't want to say what it was, but it deeply impacted us and our family and Ryan that's why we brought him out of school to homeschooling and that's why we homeschool when they're younger it's all started because of this I didn't know if he would bounce back from it years later when we really talked about it I said Ryan I thought I was going to lose you and I did I lost him there was an emotional breakage there I lost him he's third grade and I thought I was going to lose him And I thought I was going to die. I literally had heart pain. I thought I was going to die. It was so painful for all of us, especially Ron and I. We were very, very close. The second time was college when he, Kim alluded to it, when he jumped off a cliff. He disappeared for a year, just disappeared. And we went on this seven-year roller coaster. It's hard to lose a child. Really, really hard to lose a child, but it was nothing compared to those seven years. Him dying was nothing compared to those seven years. i got to tell you, that was way worse. Seven years of hell. And many people after Ryan died, they said, well, now you know what my pain is like. Now I know you can understand what my pain is like. And I feel like I can share this with you. And I I told them, listen, (laughs) I always knew what your pain was like. A lot of times we're like, oh, nobody understands my pain. Listen, there's a lot of pain out there that people don't see. We all have intense pain, don't we? And, and I said to be, listen, you have no idea. I always knew what your pain was like. It was worse, what I it was going through. The third time we lost him, and the final time we lost him was last May. And I remember asking Kim... Right after he died, I just remember saying, why did I have to lose him three times? And she knew what I was talking about. Why did I have to lose him three times? And she doesn't even remember saying it, but I was talking about it. And I said, you said because, I don't remember you saying it. I said, it's because God knew you loved him too much. He was my first and only We had a really close bond. And it was unhealthy. Too close. And you know what I'm talking about. You you yourself have experienced that or you've seen other people with that. And Kim said, God used the the first two to create an emotional boundary for you so that you learn to love in a healthy way. And and I did. Even in all the pain, the seven years of pain, we we, we finally were able to. He knew we loved him. I remember Ryan's boss, after he died, he said, the thing that Ryan always said to me is how much you guys loved him. And his boss was saying, and I was always surprised because most kids like Ryan, parents don't talk to them. They've completely disowned them. They have no relationship when they're in that place. And he always said, my parents really love me. Kim was saying, God knew that he would rebel someday. We saw signs of it at a very young age, believe me. Deep down, I always knew. So he used those first two losses to prepare you for the final loss. Because what if you were still as close as you were then? It would kill you, and it's true. It would have killed me. God had a purpose for asking me to give up Ryan the first two times. And he also had, has a purpose for asking me to give him up for the third time. I don't know what that is yet. I probably won't know till I get to heaven. I won't know till I get to heaven. But I know that God understands my pain how do i know that because god gave up his one and only son for me for every one of us john 3:16 for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's what Abraham, if you were here last week, you know that's what Abraham and Isaac was a picture of. God giving up his only son. God sacrificing his only son, the ultimate lamb of God. Only God, unlike when God stopped the knife for Abraham and Isaac, God did not stop the knife when he sacrificed his own son for our sin, for what we've done wrong on that cross. And that's what communion is all about. It's remembering God's ultimate sacrifice for us. And because of that sacrifice, we can have life. We can have the ultimate life here and forever with God someday. Do you have that life? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus Christ? That word means faith. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? If not, what's keeping you from doing that? What in your life is blocking you? What person, what thing, what sin, whatever it is, what's keeping you from putting your faith in Jesus Christ? And as Christians, maybe you're a Christian, but what's blocking us from communion? Communion is just a once a month thing that we do, but it's to remind us that we can be have communion. We can have close intimacy with God Every day, all day long, every hour, every minute, every second. But often, something is blocking that communion. A sin or someone, something, an idol is blocking that closeness, that intimacy, that God, that love relationship that God wants us to have. That's what communion is all about. It's a reminder to clear it out, to make things right. What it is, is we we have the bread and the cup, and it represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, and as we take it, we just, you come up and get it and take it back to your seat, if you're, if you're ready, if you want to, you take it back, you can take it alone, you can take it with your family, you can take it with a friend, whatever, it's between you and God, however you take it, but as you eat the bread and you drink the, the cup, you're remembering that Jesus gave his body and blood on the cross for our sin and our place, and there's there's two reasons why we shouldn't take it. One is, if we're not a Christian yet, we're not ready to put our faith in, just wait, just sit and pray and wait for the next time. But, but you can do that today. The second reason why we shouldn't is there's something in our life that we won't surrender, that we won't let go. Which is what we're talking about here. And if there's something in our life that, say, God, you can't have it, you can't have this sin, you can't have this idol, you can't have this... First place in my heart, you can't there's something I know you want me to give up, and even it's a good thing, but I, I won't give it up, even though it's good, but it's not the best, but we won't give it up, then we shouldn't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way, but I hope that you do open your hands. I hope that we all open our hands and and ask God to forgive us and we do commune and and, and connect because we all can, and as always, we always have a prayer team if you ever need prayer there's always People on both sides to pray for before communion, after communion, after the service is over. You saw what was happening last week, praying for a healing, and we saw God's miracle. Anytime, the prayer team, before service, after service, they're always there. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer and communion, how is God speaking to us? Maybe here, 10, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, but you know today is that day to put your faith in Jesus and give your life to him. Don't let anyone or anything stop you from communing with God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's a simple prayer of faith. God, I don't want the sin. I don't want the garbage. I don't want anything anymore. I repent of that. I turn away from that. I put my faith in Jesus, I give my life to Him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you now have eternal life. And it starts this second a brand new life in Jesus Christ, and it goes out through all of eternity. And you now can commune with God as your Father anytime, starting with this morning. If you've taken that step of faith, let somebody know. On the way out, you can tell me. Fill out the card, text, email. Tell a a friend you're here with or a family member. Let somebody know so that we can be excited for you. It's awesome. And if you've prayed that prayer, you can now commune with God as your Father. For the rest of us, as we go to this time of prayer and communion, how is God speaking to us? What do we need to let go? What do we need to let go so we can enjoy full fellowship and intimacy with God? How is God speaking to us? Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way, preparing us this week as we let things go so that the next time we talk about this passage, we can look at the positive things you're trying to do in our life, what you want to replace in our life in a a very positive, powerful way. We pray this in Jesus' name.